morning. As Ashley said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Excited, privileged, honored to be with you, to be in God's Word together this morning. For those of you who have not been with us, the past couple of months we just completed our study of the Beatitudes from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we called this series The Good Life because that's what the Beatitudes are about, about Jesus' picture of this pathway to the good life, of a happy life, a life approved of by Him. That being said, as you can see, our sermon graphic has not changed, and this is because although the Beatitudes definitely serve as the foundation for good life living, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in many ways serves as the fleshing out of or the application of this good life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to continue walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, looking even further at Jesus' picture of the good life. As is our custom here at Christ Central, I'm going to invite you now, if you're able to stand and give reverence to God's Word. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So this is Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but his word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. We ask that you would speak to us, your people, now through your word, that you would give me the wisdom and the courage to get out of your way so that your truth might be proclaimed. God, I pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There are three things that I believe Jesus desires for us to walk away from this text this morning. First, he wants us to see the truth about the world that we live in. Secondly, he wants us to see the job of the Christian in this world that we live in. And lastly, he wants to inform us of some pitfalls that hinder us from doing our job well, and so that's what I want us to look at this morning. First, the truth about the world. Secondly, the job of the Christian in the world. And then lastly, these pitfalls that hinder us from doing our job well. As I mentioned, verses 13 through 16 are Jesus' explanation of how to live out, verses 1 through 12, how to live out the Beatitudes. And in particular... 
verses 13 through 16 reveal how good life living will impact the world around us. And in order to highlight this impact, Jesus chooses to give us two metaphors, salt and light. What's interesting about these metaphors is not only do they reveal what it looks like for Christians to engage the world, but also they provide insight into the state of the world that we live in, which is where I want to begin this morning. What does our text, and particularly these two metaphors, reveal about the world? Now, before we do that, we obviously need to define some terms, particularly earth and world. Jesus tells his disciples that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But that begs the question, what does he mean when he says earth and world? What we know from other places in the scriptures is that when Jesus refers to the earth or to the world, he is referring to society that exists apart from him. He's talking about the people, the communities, the culture that is unaffiliated with him and his ways. Therefore, in light of this definition, the first thing that Jesus wants us to glean from these metaphors is is some insight into this community, the, the people, the culture that is unaffiliated with him. And before we do that, I want to first acknowledge there are most certainly people here today and likely listening online that fit this description. You would self-identify as a person who is unaffiliated with Christ. And to you, I want to say two things. First, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here, and I hope that you will keep coming back. I hope that you will keep journeying with us and bringing your questions and your doubts with you each and every week. And then secondly, I want to warn you that what Jesus is about to say might be offensive to you. And if so, if you are offended, please don't walk away. But please talk to someone about it. Talk to me, talk to one of the other pastors or staff or maybe even the person sitting next to you. Talk to them about why you were offended, about what you disagree with in terms of what Jesus is saying here. We truly long to have these conversations with you, so I hope that you will reach out if that's how you feel. So without any further introduction, let's look at what these two metaphors reveal about the world around us. Jesus begins in verse 13 saying, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. Now clearly the fundamental assumption that Jesus is making here is that the earth is a place that needs to be salted. However, if we're not careful here, we can miss what Jesus is saying because we are thinking about salt from the lens of America in 2019 and not first century Palestine. Because what all historians agree upon is that the primary function of salt in the first century was was not a spice, but as a preservative. You see, every home in the ancient Near East, no matter how poor, had salt. And the reason why is because ice was nearly non-existent and refrigeration had yet to be invented. So the only way to keep meat from going bad was to cover it in salt. It's in light of this 
insight that we begin to see what Jesus is saying about the world. Jesus is not saying that the world is bland and, and needs to be spiced up, but rather he is saying that it is decaying and it needs to be preserved. Listen to how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, the world left to itself, according to the Bible, tends to fester. There are these germs of evil, these microbes, these infective agents and organisms in the very body of humanity, and unless checked, they cause disease. You see, as, as much as we may not want to believe this, what Jesus is saying is that apart from him, society will not get any better. That left to its own accord, it will continue getting worse and worse, more and more broken, less and less of the way it was intended to be. But that's not all that Jesus has to say about the world. Starting in verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. And once again, underneath this statement is the assumption that the world around us is dark. What is Jesus telling us when he says that the world is dark? Once again, the metaphor is difficult because light, as we know, has a multitude of functions. But in order to guide us, I want to look at the other place that this phrase comes out of Jesus' mouth, and, and that's in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And this time Jesus says, not you, but, but I am the light of the world. And then he goes on to explain what he means. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so in, now in light of what Jesus says there, we can begin to see what Jesus is getting at in this second metaphor. To say that the world is dark is to say that the world is lost not knowing where to go, lacking purpose and vision for why we are here and what we're supposed to be doing. The picture that immediately comes to mind is, is walking around my house at night when the lights are out and feeling around for the wall or the bed and bumping my toe on a piece of furniture or stepping on a random toy or, heaven forbid, a Lego. And this is, this is Jesus' diagnosis of of the world wandering blinded by the darkness not knowing exactly where or how to go before we go any further I want to pause and once again acknowledge the elephant in the room as I mentioned before what I just said is not very popular certainly not in Durham North Carolina in 2019 I mean, really, how dare anyone embrace as true such a critical and judgmental view of all those who are not affiliated with Christ, all those who are, are different than them? How could anyone possibly believe such a thing? The answer is that here at Christ Central, we have committed ourselves to the validity and authority of this book of the Bible. We believe that this book contains the very words of God, and therefore we accept all of it, not just the parts that are easy to hear and not just the parts that align well with the culture. In fact, we accept it as truth even when it stands in stark contrast to the cultural norms of the day. And I confess personally, that I so often wish I could just white out 
certain passages of Scripture because I know how hurtful and offensive they are and how these words can often hinder me from having meaningful relationship with others. However, I have staked my job, my life, my family on the fact that these words are the words of God and that they are true. And I know that doesn't wipe away the offense of what Jesus is saying, but I just want to acknowledge that to embrace these words is hard, and I often wish there was another way. And yet I truly believe that this is God's word and that therefore these words are true. Therefore, I must embrace what our text says about the world, that it is both decaying and in darkness, that evil and brokenness are ever-increasing, and that people, many people, are lacking in purpose and direction for their lives. Which brings us to our second point this morning, the job of the Christian in the world. Thankfully, Jesus does not just offer up this discouraging diagnosis, but he also offers a solution. And hopefully this solution is encouraging to all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, because his solution is not for his disciples to retreat from the dark and decaying world, but rather to move towards it, to move into it as salty, bright people. And our text reveals both how to do this as well as the consequences of us doing this well. Let's look first at how to do it, at this job of the Christian in the world. And what we see here from our text is that the practice of being salt and of being light are in many ways one and the same. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. You see, to be, to be salty and bright is to live a life that is marked by good works. Now, don't forget that our text is dependent upon verses 1 through 12, dependent upon the Beatitudes, because what Jesus is saying is that salty, bright people are the blessed people. Jesus is saying that the people embodying the good life that we've been talking about for the past eight weeks are the salty, bright people, the poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, persecuted people. They are the salty, bright people. So then in order to be salty, bright people, we need to do what we've been talking about for the past eight, eight weeks, which is to be who we really are, to live out this new identity, this new character that has been given to us by Christ. And the promise here in verses 13 through 16 is that if we do that, we will impact the world around us. We will retard the decay. We will expel the darkness. Well, let me make this a little more practical for you. Have you ever been around someone that you wouldn't feel comfortable saying certain words or making certain types of jokes? Not because that person would judge you, but simply because there's something about that person that causes you to feel uncomfortable using foul language or telling dirty jokes. That's a salty, bright person. Because their, their presence has a way of slowing down the decay as well as shining a light on how to live. I remember experiencing something like this in college. I had just started to walk with Jesus after 
walking away from him for over four years, and I didn't have many Christian friends, but I was talking with one of these new Christian friends about a, a movie that had just come out and whether we were going to go watch it or not. At this time, it should be noted that both this guy and I were being discipled by Pastor Daniel. And I was this baby Christian, naive, didn't know what to do, so I needed to be led and, and guided. And my friend said, this is what he said, he said, we probably shouldn't go see this movie because I don't think d would go see it. See, Daniel, or d short for Daniel Mason, as we called him back then, was and, and is a salty, bright person. You see, he didn't tell us not to go see the movie, but simply the way that he lived his life had an impact on the way that we lived ours. Lastly, I, I can't help but think of David Johnson when I think of salty, bright people. David Johnson works for an organization called Bull City United, an organization that is seeking to reduce violent crime in our city. And a few months ago, I had the privilege of meeting David and hearing him as he spoke to some gang members in my neighborhood who were reeling from the recent murder of a fellow gang member. And I listened as David passionately spoke about how he used to be in the exact same place that these guys were in, slinging drugs in the very same neighborhood. But after serving 10 years in prison, David has since devoted his life to helping young men get out of this destructive way of living. See, David is a salty, bright dude who is succeeding in slowing down the decay in our city and in shining a bright light on which way to go. What does it look like to be salty, bright people, it's, it's to live like that. It's to live in such a way that ugliness is pushed back and a bright light is shown on what the good life really is. Which brings me to my third and, and final point, the pitfalls that, that hinder us from doing this well. See, Jesus clearly recognizes that it's going to be a struggle to be salty, bright people. So he offers us some helpful warnings about two pitfalls that, that might get in the way of our pursuit of salty brightness. And the first pitfall is in, related, in relation to our saltiness. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? What Jesus seems to be saying here is that although we are salt, we are in danger of losing our saltiness. But what's interesting about salt is that it is an extremely stable compound. It's almost impossible for salt to lose its saltiness. However, as we all know, what can happen to salt is it can be diluted, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So what does it mean to be deluded in a spiritual sense. What Jesus is talking about here is, is what we might call assimilation. It's when we are absorbed by and into the world around us. And, and when this happens, the Christian becomes unrecognizable from the world around him or her. This is how you become unsalty salt. But the way that we counteract this pitfall is by recognizing what both metaphors that Jesus uses make crystal clear, and that is to be a Christian is necessarily to be distinct from the world. Jesus 
desperately wants us to see that a Christian is not one in the same with the world, which is a really hard pill to swallow in a world that heralds coexistence, that is constantly seeking to smooth out the rough edges of religion and declare that all roads to God are the same. And yet to be a salty Christian demands that we avoid the pitfall of universalism, that we be courageous in living out our distinctiveness. Now, a little clarification is, is certainly needed here because there's been a lot of damage done over the past hundred years by church seeking to be distinct. And to, just to be clear, to be distinct as a Christian is not to vote for a certain political party, to take a certain side on political issues, to wear cheesy Christian t-shirts or, or rock offensive bumper stickers or eat at Chick-fil-A because they serve holy chicken there. We can't separate verses 13 through 16 from verses 1 through 12. Jesus says, already spelled out how we are to be distinct, how we're to be different. We're to be beatitudinally different. I made that word up. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to those eight sermons so you can understand what Jesus is talking about, what kind of saltiness Jesus is after, and to think about ways that you can become more pure in spirit, more hungry for righteousness, the ways that you can mourn, the ways that you can be meek, because that's what it means to be a salty, bright Christian. The second pitfall is in relation to our brightness. Look again at verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The danger here is that although we are bright, we are often tempted to conceal our brightness. This is what it looks like in a spiritual sense to isolate. You see, a, a bright light accomplishes nothing if it is hidden. In the same way, church, we accomplish nothing if we stay hidden inside the Hatai Heritage Center. To employ both metaphors here, salt in a salt shaker has enormous potential, but it accomplishes nothing until it is shaken out of the shaker. There is a great danger for us in being salt confined to a shaker. 650 people gathered here inside this building and never uttering the name of Jesus outside these doors, never engaging our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates in a meaningful way. That would be a great tragedy for our central church. In order to avoid this pitfall, we need to be shaken out all over this city shaken out in our neighborhoods, in the school systems, in our local government, in our legal system, at the bars and restaurants and coffee shops, in your workplace, in your classroom, yoga class, on your sports team. We need to be rubbed into the meat of society so that we can push back the decay and show the world the way in which Jesus wants us to go. We need to be shaken out as good life 
people, salting and brightening the world around us. I want to conclude with, with one final insight into how this whole thing works, into how we can succeed as salty, right people. There, there's one aspect, one more aspect of our brightness that we must not lose sight of. And that is that our brightness is a derivative brightness. The famous preacher, Dr. Barnhouse, once said, When Christ was in the world, he was like the shining sun, here in the day and then gone at night. But when the sun sets, the moon comes up. The moon, the church, shines, but not with its own light. It shines with reflected life. Excuse me, reflected light. I think there's no better picture of this idea than Moses on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 34, we learn that when Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God and to receive the Ten Commandments, that when he came back down, the verse says, the skin of his face shone, and people were afraid to come near him. And therefore, until Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. What the text is revealing here about being in God's presence is that when we do that, we absorb God's brightness. Moses absorbed some of God's brightness. Therefore, when he came down, his face shined brightly, not with his brightness, but with the brightness of God. And the P- Apostle Paul keys in on this very same idea in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, now that Jesus has come, now that all of us who believe have been granted access through his blood to our Heavenly Father, verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, into God's image, from one degree of glory to another. Don't miss this, church. The only way we become salty, bright people is through beholding the glory of the Lord with unveiled face. And remember, Before Christ came, we learn this in Leviticus, one man, the high priest, but once a year was able to behold the glory of the Lord. But when Christ died, the veil of the Holy of Holies was split in two from top to bottom. And Hebrews 10 says that we now with confidence can enter the holy places, that with confidence we can draw near to God. And when we do this, we behold His glory, His brightness, and that brightness is transferred to us. And it's His brightness that then shines out of us into the world, which is why we are not a light bulb but a mirror. We are the one who reflects His brightness, the brightness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, don't forget to whom this sermon was given, the Sermon on the Mount. It was given to the disciples, 12 poor, uneducated, highly untrained peasants. And to those 12, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Not the salt of Galilee, not the light of Palestine, but the salt and light of the world. Jesus had incredible confidence in these 12 nobodies. And what history reveals is that his confidence was 
was not misplaced because as we now know, these 12 nobodies started a revolution that continued on to this day and has stretched across the entire world. Christ Central Church, Jesus has placed that exact same confidence in you. He is saying to you this morning, you Amy, you John, you Todd, you Ashley, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He is inviting you this day and every day to behold his glory, to allow his glory to transform you so that you might shine brightly in a world that he has called us to live in and to love. Which brings us to our final verse, verse 16, and and Jesus leaves us with a promise. He says, if we do this, if we live as salty, bright people, we will accomplish our vision. Durham will see our good works and will give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we would see your glory. And that as we see your glory, that your brightness would be transferred to us and we would reflect that brightness to a watching world. God, I pray, I hope, I long for this city to see not a room of people confined to a salt shaker, but a group of men and women and children that are being shaken out into this community as salty, bright people for the sake of your name and your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name.